0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: What is happening? Welcome to the Plus Pitch Podcast, your morning pitching podcast from Pitchless.com. My name is Nick Pollock. Today, we're going to talk about the Cincinnati Reds as I continue my series covering all 30 starting pitching rotations In the major leagues, if you didn't know, I'm doing this the end of November, early December. So there will be free agent signings, injuries, and trades that are going to be made after I record this and before you listen to it. So I apologize in advance for that. At the same time, I'm doing a massive free agent podcast or two uh, to go over all of those. And I'm going to be talking about these guys in the context of expectations of certain players uh, showing up. But, yeah, I think the player assessments are very helpful to you. So, definitely go and check out the other teams as well. I think it's really good to go through all of these and have a thorough understanding of every single rotation as you enter your drafts this year. But let's start with the most exciting one, I think, in this group, and that's Hunter Green, 125 innings and change this year, a 444 ERA, 121 whip, 31% K rate, and a 9% walk rate. But his last six starts are what. Everybody is talking about 102 ERA, 0.85 whip, 37% K rate, and just a 6% walk rate in that time across about 35 innings. So what is under Green? He's an effectively wild pitcher. His fastball routinely sits above 100 miles per hour. When he locates it up, it is incredibly effective. We're talking about an elite pitch when it's located high. So high lock is a good thing. uh, as high location. When he locates it low... It gets crushed. He had a near 30% hard contact rate this year because Hunter Green is inconsistent with the pitch. He is an effectively wild pitcher. I've been thinking about this one a lot because on one end, I could say Hunter Green is young. He's going to be 24 in the middle of next year. He's 23 right now. He's going to turn 24 in August. And to say that this is who he is after his rookie season... Isn't kind, it is not, it is dishonest because he is sure to develop in some fashion. On the other side, he's still likely to be volatile. I, I think of him like a Robbie Ray, Blake Snell and Tyler Glasnow type, where it's fastball focused first, and if that fastball is working, great. Not Robbie Ray now, I'm talking about Robbie Ray on the Diamondbacks, right? Tyler Glasnow when he was early on maybe with the Pirates. When Blake Snell was not the 180 ERA before that, right? So I don't know if this is the year the Hunter Green clicks into place. I think at some point he should, but he does seem like he's still figuring things out with his mechanics. I watched these, these games when he succeeded at the end of the year, and Hunter Green still was not an efficient pitcher. He was still putting fastballs in the wrong place, and green slider was wasted a lot, and then it would be executed well. It's likely to still be volatile next year. At the same time, 31% K rate, 125 innings. That added up to about 165 Ks in a very limited time. Imagine he goes 170 innings next year as the res just say, yeah, go and start as much as you want. Well, then you're probably going to get 200 strikeouts from Hunter Green. And that's something to be said. 200 strikeouts at, you know, past the top 30 starting pitchers is not an easy thing to find. You likely will get it with Hunter Green. Now, will it come with a batty array and a tough whip? I mean, again, Robbie Ray. It's the same kind of idea. Maybe Hunter, not no, Hunter, um, Matthew Boyd a little bit um, back in, in 2018, 2019. A little different. That was more slider focused than it is fastball focused. The point still remains. I don't know where I side on this one yet because Hunter Green, again, volatile. I don't like getting headache pitchers where I don't feel like I know what to expect on a given day. He could be the premium cherry bomb. It could be one of those cases where he just figures it out. His high locations are consistent with the four-seamer, which they were more so in those six starts than they were in the other starts of the year, right? Those last six outings, his high lock was closer to 65%, 70% as opposed to 50%. Big deal. That's a, that's a good thing. I, I just I don't know what to buy into. Also, I should mention, those six starts were against really bad teams. It was against the Marlins, it was against the Cardinals, against the Brewers, the Pirates, and the Cubs. Not pristine offenses. You could say the Cardinals were the toughest one. That's when he did have 11 strikeouts and zero walks. Still, Hunter Green is not going to get the NL Central nearly as consistency ne- consistently next year. That could open to more trouble while he's still inside of Cincinnati. So Hunter Green, I am likely not going to be as in as other people. To me, it's a dice roll and I generally don't love doing dice rolls. I th- I think you can find more consistent good pitchers to chase, especially if Hunter Green's going to be acting as your SP3 next year as opposed to like your 5. I'm all for the dice rolls at SP5, not SP3. That should be someone better. So that that that's my two cents on Hunter Green. I have a lot more I do want to say about these Reds pitchers, especially Nick Lodolo. Um, but we're going to take a quick break first. Nick Lodolo versus Hunter Green is incredibly interesting to me. And people say, oh, he needs to figure it out. He can make an argument that he already has. This final 77 frames of 2022, Nick Lodolo had a 292 ERA, 106 whip and 30% carry with a 9% walk rate. I mean, that's pretty dang good. Think of Andrew Heaney but better and a discount version of a good Chris Sale. He's from the left side. That's easy for those comps. He's a low arm angle. It's a big sweeping breaking ball and a sinker that does remind me of Chris Sale with how much horizontal movement it gets. I I like this a lot. I do think that the sinker needs to be a little bit better commanded, a little bit too much of YM lock that is uh, middle height as opposed to high lock. Or low lock, right? High location, low location. His slider, though, man, it misses a lot. It's the bats, and the changeup could return in a big way. About 10% usage last year. I think we saw some really nice moments with it early in the season. He kind of abandoned it a bit, and I think that could come back with more time and development. As like Green, he's really young, and I think he does get better. Lefties cannot touch Nicolodolo. His breaking ball down and away is incredibly hard to hit. And then the sinker jams guys inside. I remember watching the the Milwaukee Brewers game um, with uh, Nick Lodolo. And guys were twisting back as a right-hander as if it's about to hit them. And the ball would comfortably be on the inner half. Not like on the black. Like actually the full ball clearly over the plate strike three. (laughs) Strike three when that's a high swing decision, right? They're expecting to swing in those cases. And they think it's going to hit them and it doesn't. That should tell you just how much horizontal movement Lodolo is getting on his sinker. I mean, the lower arm angle does that. So it's incredibly hard to hit when he doesn't make it flat in the middle of the zone. If he does elevate that a little bit, he's going to be so successful with that pitch. The breaking ball is already an exceptional pitch. And then you have the changeup. Now, the walk rate is something that I am a little worried about. I think you are going to see some long balls from Nick Lodolo. I think you're going to see some volatility. I think the overall command is still better than Hunter Green's. And this is where I go back and forth. They both had 30% strikeout rates this year. And they both had similar walk rates. And it's about who is better. I think the ceiling is ultimately better with Green if his command clicks. But I think the consistency will be more so there for Lodolo. So it's back and forth here. Uh, I think you're going to see Green go before Lodolo in your drafts because of that ceiling. And I get that. And there's a part of me that thinks, yeah, maybe that is the right call. But I think Nick Lodolo is just kind of more solid and dependable. So I might be leaning there in my drafts uh, next year. But one of the two, I'm okay rostering. It just depends at, at what point in your draft do you need to go and get them. And whatever one I get later is the one I'm going to go and draft. Now, there's Graham Ashcraft, who is the the number three on the squad, and I'll be honest with you, after Greed and Lodolo, it is a minefield. It, it, there's nothing really to like in Cincinnati. I have to imagine they get at least one, you know, like Kyle Gibson type. I think Gibson is signing with the Pirates or something along those lines. Fine, that makes sense, but that's the point I'm trying to make. Like, you're Jordan Lyles, Jordan Lyles is, to me, like, the perfect example, uh, I. They'll get somebody just to eat innings on this team. I don't know who it's going to be. It's going to be somebody. Uh, Graham Ashcraft could be relied on a bit for this. 105 innings last year, 4.9 ERA, 1.42 with 15% K rate, 6% walk rate, only 24% CSW. And you would think that Graham Ashcraft would be a stud, right? 96 to 99 mile per hour cutters and sinkers, and he has a high 80 slider that screams ceiling and upside and watching more Graham Ashcraft I had a realization it's that his cutter dips as opposed to cuts and why that's bad at a high velocity is that when you are throwing high velocity hard pitches you're trying to miss the bat up you're trying to make it so that the ball gets delivered before the bat essentially gets elevated to the point to make contact right they're swinging everybody swings with a slight uppercut and that means if you're late, you're going to be under the ball. But if you have a dip on the pitch, you're essentially dropping the ball into the barrel instead of missing above the bat. You're hoping to go farther underneath it. You're trying to miss below the bat all of a sudden with the cutter. But if it's a small dip like it is with Ashcraft, that means it goes into it. And I think that's the issue here. If it was more of a cut, that is, instead of going down, it goes into the handle of the bat uh, to a lefty or to the end of the bat as a righty, that would work. I'd be cool with that one, but that's not really what it does. It does have a slight one, but it's more of a dip, and that is why you're seeing guys hitting this cutter more frequently and easier than than you'd be want to see. The sinker is also not getting located as it should. You guys know me in sinkers; it's about going arm side, uh, inside to the same handedness. So like righties to righties, it should be jamming guys inside all day. I talked about Garrett Whitlock the other day doing the Aaron Nola method, which is backdoor, which is fine. I'm okay with backdoor sinkers as long as there's another pitch to complement it. But that's what uh, what uh, works for Whitlock is lefties going inside to them. That's fine. That, that That's okay. Front door for them. Ashcraft, it's just going too much in the middle of the plate far too often. And that's a problem. And I don't think Ashcraft is the epitome of command, unfortunately. So he throws hard but he's not really putting them in the right place. It's more hittable than we want it to be. And there you go. That's why the cutter and the sinker are not that great. The slider is actually pretty good. Um, I think it's good enough. It needs, It's where it needs to be. It's just you need the cutter and sinker to be better so that it makes the slider better, right? You need a better fastball combination, cutter, or sinker, to then set up sliders more effectively. He doesn't have that. So I think if, those pitches get better, then the slider will improve. Well, the slider is good enough; it checks the box of what it needs to be. Uh, you just can't you can't throw that all the time. He doesn't have a good enough one to be like the pitch for him, not like a Westneski breaker or something like that. Um, and that's Graham Ashcraft. That's why you have a fifteen percent K rate because <laughs> you have two hittable fastballs, and then you can't really set up the slider. I uh, I don't really want to touch that. If he changes them, if you know, cutters have changed corbin burns had the same problem with his cutter and then he uh his four seamer that had that dip and then he really leaned into it and made it a more horizontal one and that was much better now obviously maybe that's it uh if Ashcraft can do that but as of now he is not there and i'm not going to believe that he's going to uh justin dunn is the other one i think is going to get more playing time in the rotation. I mean, there's also Luis Sessa and Connor Overton. Luis Sessa, I don't think is any good. Slider is a good slider, but it's it's not like a premier slider that deserves to be the most thrown pitch in a repertoire. But it has to be because everything else is bad. It's just really bad. So Sessa's got nothing. I don't think that's going to be the thing. Connor Overton, I uh, has actually a four pitch mix that I don't think is the worst thing ever. Decent command of the four seamer and sinker. I mean, he has to do better jamming righties with the sinker, but he does go up and into lefties really well with the four-seamer. Slider and changeup are good, and they deserve to be thrown more, but it's like a kitchen sink kind of thing with a four-pitch mix that nothing is exceptional, but as long as he locates, I think this will be all right. So maybe Connor Overton can be that, but Justin Dunn is the intriguing one. As he was inside of the deal, the, the Jesse Winker, you know, how Suarez deal. And in 2021, if you remember, I was actually kind of intrigued with Justin Dunn as he increases velocity from about 92 to about 94, 93 to 94 on the fastball, was actually having some success with it, was figuring out his breaking balls, the curveball was looking like the good one of the group with the slider, maybe lacking behind, but still developing and getting better. And then, of course, he had injuries and everything that really stunted everything. Now he's back. He came back at the end of last year, did not do well. 31 innings of a 6-10 let just kind of forget it. He just needed to be healthy and pitching and fine. But now it's an offseason, of preparation, and actually spring training. I think he's going to be in the rotation out of the gate. This is something that could develop, and he could be back to 93-94 in the fastball. He could be really doing well with the curveball again. If that's happening, there's some deep value to be had in that one. 12-teamers, uh, maybe the occasional stream, not something I would be chasing at all in my drafts, but I'm going to be aware of Justin Dunn. I'm probably going to have an SP Roundup lead with Justin Dunn at some point this year. That's my anticipation for him. Uh, deep leagues, I'm talking like NL only, a sleeper is Justin Dunn, but not at all for a 12-teamer. That's all. Uh, but that's it for the Reds. I mean, they have some prospects, but... No. <laughs> I imagine someone's going to be, uh, someone's going to sign uh, for the Reds. They, they cannot rely on Overton as their five or Sessa as their five. That, that just can't happen. So something's going to change here. Uh, we'll talk about it, of course, in the free agent one. Maybe it's a trade. They've made some trades in the past. We'll see. Just for some depth of some kind. Uh, but that's going to do it for today. Thanks so much for listening and subscribing to the channel. Um, and leaving a rating or review. Those go a long way for us. So thank you all so much for doing that. But that's it for today. So my name is Nick Pollock, and may your babbles be low in your strikeouts high.